Welcome to the In Touch Podcast with Charles Stanley for Tuesday, March 7th. Today's podcast helps you gain a new reverence for God, the Lord Almighty. Now, if you go through the scriptures, you'll find something very comforting. And that is every emergency that man can find, there is a name about God to meet that emergency. These aren't just haphazard names that men have given God. Because of his nature, every single name is rich with meaning. And I believe a study of his names gives us a little hint of the characteristics, the qualities, the attributes about God that we're going to be studying as we go along. And I believe if you will listen carefully and you'll turn to the scriptures with me and you'll ask God to speak to your heart, I believe you'll get a whole new appreciation for the name of God. Now, there are three primary names and then there are some other names that uh, God is linked with like uh, God Almighty and Everlasting God and and uh, the highest, but these three primary names, all the rest will be found from those. And so I want us to look at those for just a moment and just see what God wants to say to us about his name. I want us to take, first of all, the name Elohim. The name Elohim, if you're writing notes, that's E-L-O-H-I-M. It is the word found in Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse. It is found over 2,700 times in the Bible. 32 times in the first chapter of the Bible, Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you break that name down, here's what you'll discover. Elohim. The first part of that means strength, power, might. Elohim. The last part of that name comes from the root that means to swear or covenant keeping or a promise. So when you and I read the name Elohim, what do we find? Elohim means he who is infinite in power and absolute in faithfulness. Elohim, in the beginning God, he who is infinite in strength, infinite in power, infinite in might, and he who is absolutely and unswervingly faithful, absolutely faithful. And I believe if God's people would begin to understand who this God is we are praying to. When you get on your knees and you say, Dear God, what are you saying? Are you talking to somebody who's weak? To whom are you addressing that prayer? You are saying to you, to the one who is infinite in power, to you, faithful, absolutely faithful to every promise. Listen, you ought to be able to get up off your knees with total confidence that God is going to answer your prayer. You and I are worshiping and praying and singing and praising a personal God whose very name is a testimony and a proclamation to us, infinite in power, absolute in his faithfulness, and we ought to walk in that kind of confidence. There's a second word for God, and that's the word Jehovah. Now, what does that word mean? What does the word Jehovah mean? It means eternal. It means that God is everlasting and that there is no cause of God, that God is and there is no beginning with God, there is no end with God. The word Jehovah is the word that best describes to the Hebrew the very essence of God. He needs nothing. He acquires nothing. He can learn nothing. There is nothing for him to have. He is self-existent. He is God. You and I could never say there was never a time when we were not, but God can God can say there is never a time when he was not. 
There is never a time when he will not be. God has always been, he is, and he always will be. He's the self-existent God. When the Hebrew got a hold of that name, that name was so sacred and so holy. It represented the pinnacle of names. It represented the highest of names. They would never have joked about Jehovah God. In fact, so holy was it, they said, let's don't speak it. Let's don't write that word. It is too holy for man to speak. And so as a result, they wrote the word Jehovah. That was their word. They put all through the scriptures in order not to write the name of God. For example, turn to Isaiah chapter 40 for just a moment. Verse 18, Isaiah 40 says, To whom then will you liken God? Who's like God? Who's unlimited in his power? Who's absolutely faithful? Who is self-existent? Who has no beginning and no end? Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Who is eternal other than God? He says, verse 18, To whom will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Verse 25, To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? You see, there is none likened unto him. So when you read in the Bible, it says, God Elohim, he's saying, trust me, infinite in his power, absolute in his faithfulness. When it comes to the word Jehovah, what is he saying? Self-existent, he's saying, worship me. Elohim, trust me. Jehovah, worship me. And then there's one other word, and the word is Adonai. Now, here's what that word means. It comes from the root meaning to mean ruler or judge. Now, in the Old Testament, if a man were a hired servant, if he were a hired servant and he didn't like what his master required him, he could quit or he could just strike. But if he were a servant who had been purchased and he was a servant by possession, he could not quit. If his master were his Lord, he could not quit. But there were two things involved in that. Number one, when he said, Lord, that meant absolute and total authority over that man's life. So that a master had total absolute authority over the slave's life. But also the master had a responsibility. Whereas he had absolute authority, he was responsible to be all sufficient for his slave's provision, for his protection, and for his guidance. So when you take that word Adoniah, and you begin to see how it's used in the Old Testament. What is God saying to us? He's saying that he's ruler. He's saying he's master. He's saying he's Lord. And that means that he has absolute authority and power over us as believers. But it likewise means that he is responsible to us for all of our provision, for our protection, and for our providential guidance. I want you to go back to Joshua for just a moment. Now, you recall that um, Moses died, and God called Joshua to take his place. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. He called Joshua to take his place. Now, Joshua had already proven himself as a tremendous military strategist. He'd proven himself to be an able general of the whole armies of Israel. And now, Moses is dead. And in the first chapter of Joshua, one of the most beautiful things that God's ever said to a man, he said to Joshua. Well, let's look at that for a moment. I think it'll be a blessing to you. Look in verse 2 of Joshua 1. 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of, of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Then a beautiful thing he says about being with him. And so God has called him to a particular task. But I want you to watch this. God isn't interested in men merely being leaders. He wants them to be servants. Every time you go through the scriptures and you'll find that when God calls men, he may call them to be strong, vigilant, diligent, courageous, bold, unswerving leaders. But he likewise calls them to be servants. And I want you to watch to see what happened to Joshua. Joshua had to learn something about the nature of God. In Joshua chapter 7, well, let's go to chapter 5 first. Well, you recall in verse 13, now they're going to get ready for a big uh, triumph in Jericho. Verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and he said unto him, art thou for us? or for our adversary. He was ready to fight. And he said, listen, the one to whom he's speaking said, nay, but as the captain of the host of Jehovah, he says, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my, what? What saith my Adonai, my Lord, my master unto his servant? Before he was a mighty general, he had taken the mantle from Moses. He was God's chosen servant. But listen, before Joshua was ready to take Jericho, he had to move from the high pedestal of leader to the lowly space of being flat out on the ground in the dust before Adonai, who must be his Lord before he be fit to be a general. Listen to what he said. He said, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Adonai, my master, my Lord, he who has total authority in my life unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord Jehovah's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now listen, there was a Hebrew law that said, When a man is required by God to do something he feels incapable of doing, he was to take off his shoes. That was an act of humility. I am not worthy. God said to him, what I'm getting ready to ask you to do, you can't do it. You cannot do it. And what I want within you is a servant spirit. I want your sandals off. Take off your shoes. You're standing in the presence of the captain of the Lord's host. And who was that? None other but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was Jesus, Joshua, Jehovah, who stood in the presence of Joshua and said to him, What I'm about to require of you, you cannot do. Take off your shoes, you stand on holy ground. And I wonder how many times you and I ought to be taking ours off. When God requires of us to do something, he knows and we know that we cannot do in our own strength. And we prance around like we can just pray a little bit and sing a little bit and get it all together and we can do it. 
When God wants something supernatural done, what does he do? But he takes his leaders to the dust until they're willing to say, Oh, Adoniah, he who has absolute authority, he who has total control, in you do I trust for all my provision, my protection, and my providential guidance. That's the difference in being a real leader and a so-called leader. He said, the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Take off your shoes. You can't do what I'm going to call you to do. All right. He told them what to do. Now you know what happened. But chapter 7. You recall that the silver and gold was stolen. And they went to take up little old Ai. Now you see, before Joshua fell in the presence of Jesus Christ, the captain of the Lord's host, took off his shoes and he said, Oh, Adoniah, what wilt thou have thy servant to do? This time they said, Ai is a cinch. Man, if you can take Jericho with those walled cities, Ai, you can just take that for the clipping. And so what did they do? They got all the armies together and they headed out to Ai. The next thing we know, they are running. They are being defeated on every hand. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting. Verse 5 of chapter 7. And the men of Ai smote of them about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate even to Shebron, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now, I want you to watch this. When I got a hold of this, brother, I could have marched all around the study and shouted 50,000 times, Hallelujah to the Lord. Because I discovered something about our praying. Listen. Verse 6. Joshua rent his clothes fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord, Jehovah. Until the evening time, he was down there praying and crying and begging God, Lord, why in the world did you let us get defeated? How could we have been defeated after such a tremendous victory in Jericho? Listen, he fell to the earth upon the face before the ark of the Lord, Jehovah, until the eventide and the elders of the Israel did likewise and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, listen, O Lord Jehovah, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to Elohim. He was supernatural in power, faithful in his promise. We had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh, he says, oh, Adoniah. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, shall environ us around and cut off the name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And Jehovah God said unto Joshua, Get up! Stop your praying! I don't want to hear any more of it. And you know why he said that to him? He said, Joshua, you're on your face before me, and you're saying, Oh, Adonijah! Oh, Master, oh, Lord, oh, you having absolute authority. You don't mean that. Because when Adonai is Lord, you're going to settle up with the problem. How many times have you and I gotten into prayer? We've said, oh, Lord. And we knew while we were praying, we were not going to repent of sin in our life. I'll tell you, when I read that, I realized how absolute and totally off base God's people can get in their praying. Oh, Lord, oh, almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. He's not impressed by that. 
He's Jehovah God. Worship me, he says. He's Elohim. Trust me, he says. He's Adonai. Serve me, he says. Yet you and I pray, and we pray now, oh dear Lord, I want you to do thus and so. He said, Joshua, get up. Stop calling me master. Correct the sin that is in Israel. Then you can call me Adonai. And I wonder how many times you and I do the same thing. We get down and we piously, we read the word of God and we say, Oh, dear Father, oh, dear Lord, you know I love you. And I wonder how many times God says, Get up! I don't want to hear any more than that. You're running your own show. Which says there's a lot of stuff that goes to the ceiling that never gets through to God. Because generation after generation we've moved away from the sacredness and the holiness of God. We throw his name around. We put it in songs. We put it in movies. We put it in magazines. We mix it up with the rock and the filth of the world. And we've been brought up in that kind of generation. We are the products of that. I believe God wants to bring to birth a whole new sense of awareness of the holiness of God. You see, if God is God and you and I understand who he is, I'm here to tell you, it will do something to our praying. It'll do something to our singing. It'll do something to our calling of his name. It'll do something to the way we live. He says, Elohim, infinite, unlimited in his power, absolutely faithful. He says, Jehovah, the eternal, unchanging, everlasting, unchanging God. Worship me, Adonai, Master, Lord with total authority and all provision, serve me. Other listen, you and I ought to be living in trust, in worship, and in service to God Almighty. Thank you for listening to part two of His Incomparable Name. If you'd like to know more about Charles Stanley or In Touch Ministries, stop by intouch.org. This podcast is a presentation of InTouch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia.